You're listening to The Music Tricked Me, a podcast by French recording engineer Elise Mollet, where music insiders talk about their experience in the industry and all the tricks they've learned along the way. The Music Tricked Me How are you, Kevin? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. Can't believe I'm in London today to do this interview with you. And uh, Lottie showed me all the rooms of my local studios. Um, amazing booth and there's a Dolby Atmos room and Pelisu mics and loads of drums and synth and a lot of cool people. Um, so yeah, we're currently in one of the studios of my local. So I'm going to say my local a lot. Can mm-hmm. you start by explaining to us what is my local for someone who's never heard of it? What is my local? Sure thing. So uh, we are a kind of directory of recording studios, essentially. But then there's also a few other kind of different arms to the company as well. Um, so studios is kind of our core business. But then there's also Maloco Builds, um, Maloco Gear. There's Drum Drops, which is like a sample kind of for for drums and our producer kind of engineer management arm as well so we have a few engineers that we kind of manage exclusively on that and then I think that's about it am I missing anything Mm, no (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty good already and we are in London but you're not from London tell us a bit more where you come from because I had never heard of the Isle of Wight before tell me all about it yeah so I'm from the Isle of Wight I moved to London nearly seven years ago now um so yeah the Isle of Wight's lovely it's in the south a little floating island at the bottom of the UK um (laughs) it's a really lovely place and I studied there um and then I did my diploma in music, did a degree, and then I decided to move to London in 2016. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a cool little like music scene on the Isle of Wight. There's quite a few bands that have come from the Isle of Wight. There was the, the Bees kind of back in sort of the early 2000s. Um, and then also kind of more recently Wet Leg. Um, no uh, way. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> They're from the Isle of Wight. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huge fan of Wetleg. Cool. Uh, yeah, they're Not great. Not enough, apparently, that I know they're from the Isle of Wight. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, they're great. So I went to music college with a few of them. Um, so yeah, they're great. And then there's a couple of other bands as well. Um, there's Lauren Hibbard. She's doing really well. Um, and then a band called Coach Party. And then I'm sure there's a few others that I'm forgetting. Plastic Mermaids. Um so yeah, there's quite a good music scene back at home, really, uh, which is cool. That's unreal. Mm-hmm. And it's actually bigger than I thought. I was reading the Wikipedia. It's 150,000 people there. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was much smaller because you said island. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but, and you, but then you said you went to uni there. And I was like, I must not mm-hmm. be that small. Yeah, it's quite like a, a good sort of little lovely island off the south of the UK so it doesn't take too long to get there from London Um, so I go back kind of sort of now and again throughout the year it's really lovely in the spring and summer as well because there's lots of beaches and it kind of comes to life a bit and then there's a music festival like the Isle of Wight Festival in the summer so that brings a lot of attraction to the island as well and like it's really cool because there's like a um, 
the music college I went to, Platform One, they have like a little stage usually. So there's kind of, you know, local kind of talent that is performing as well. So it's really, really cool. Yeah. Wow. Unreal. Mm -hmm. I really want to see now. Are there hiking trails? and? Yeah, there's a lot. Like there's a walk the white as well, which you go around the whole kind of coast of the island. People set off at like... 6am in the morning I've never done it myself <laughs> but I have a few friends that have and I totally respect them for it um but yeah lots of hiking like lots of people go there for sort of you know cycling and everything like that and then it's quite popular for like sailing and surfing and all those kind of activities as well so it is it's a really beautiful place surfing is the water yeah. not too cold <laughs> I mean, I did the Boxing Day dip at Christmas with like a couple of friends. And uh, yeah, that was in Ventnor, which is at the sort of bottom of the Isle of Wight um, in the south. And it was very cold. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's like cold water therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Wim Wim Hof, isn't it? Like, yeah, something like that. Um, You said you studied music. So what was Mm. your diploma? What did you study exactly? Um, So it covered a few different areas, but it was the equivalent of like three A-levels, I think. God, so long ago now. Uh, But yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it covered kind of, you know, um, music theory, instrument lessons on on drums, which I kind of did. And I really enjoyed it. And so I kind of carried on there and ended up doing my degree on the Isle of Wight as well. So that was really enjoyable. Um, Yeah, it's a great kind of college. They're still going now and and yeah. Mm -hmm. And now you're the booking manager of My Local. Did Mm -hmm. you project yourself as a booking manager? Were you working towards that? Did you go straight to uh, being in in admin? Um, No. So like I actually... I probably being a musician kind of first and foremost really so I kind of played drums and piano and sing so I ended up being in a band well a few different bands but like uh, a band called Paper Romance which we took our name from a Groove Armada song um, because we just needed to choose a name and then (laughs) I really remember it so well we were in um, Sainsbury's Cafe where I used to work and we went on um, Ben, who was in the band with like his phone, and we were just scrolling through, and we were like, we all loved that album at the time, um, and we just kind of randomly picked that song and then chose it for the name of the band. <laughs> I love the story. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was cool. I was yeah, so I did that whilst I was at college, and then. Um, kind of got into doing artist liaison. So I wasn't kind of in admin straight away, uh, kind of had to find, I think when I finished my degree, I just wanted to kind of get stuck in and just, you know, um, just explore a bit kind of what I wanted to do. So I did artist liaison. I volunteered initially for that just to kind of get the experience and then um, ended up kind of getting asked back to do that, but then paid. So that was great, um, obviously. I did move to Belfast when I finished my degree as well. Did you? Um, yeah, for like a couple of months. And I taught out there. Um, I'm kind of not giving a very clear indication of like the journey, but it's a bit skewed. But yeah, I kind of moved out there for a while and then taught a bit. Ended up doing a bit of singing with a guy called Rob Murphy on his album. So that was really fun. And then I moved back to the Isle of Wight Um I ended up getting a job like nine to five and then doing all my music stuff around it, like the artist liaison stuff and like gigging and things like that with 
with bands. Um, so I used to sing with the band Plastic Mermaids actually in the choir. Um, so that was really fun. And then, yeah, 2016, I was just like, I just want to give London a, a shot really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a job at the O2 Arena, which is in Greenwich as guest relations. So I did that. That was like a zero hour contract. So it was kind mm-hmm. of a bit come and go sometimes, but then... Once events kind of picked up in the autumn, it was quite busy, very long hours (laughs) as it is in the event world. So, you know, but I was kind of used to that from doing sort of artist liaison at festivals and things like that. Um, So I'd already had like quite a good insight into that world, really. And then I ended up getting a job at a record label called Cooking Vinyl, um, which is in West London. So I was like the office manager there. And then I helped out kind of do different areas as well so when it was needed like in you know sending out kind of vinyls and cds and stuff like that and I really enjoyed it there and then I a friend kind of told me about a role kind of at Maloco potentially in bookings and I wasn't really looking as you're sometimes not with these things right um and I was kind of like, oh okay that sounds cool so I kind of sent my cv and then sort of came in for the interview and then yeah I got offered the job as bookings assistant so I started as bookings assistant and then got promoted last year in around sort of March April time so I've been bookings manager since then. Okay and what does it involve like to be the booking manager of my local? So it's a lot of managing inquiry so like we deal with the inquiry at the first point of contact so it's talking to clients kind of day to day lots of emails um lots of kind of diary calendar management and that kind of thing so and then also liaising with like our staff so we have like an in-house team of assistants and engineers and then as I said the ones that we kind of have on the producer engineer arm as well so it's kind of talking to them if a client kind of needs like an engineer or producer on their session. So it's lots of kind of, you know, um, spinning a few plates at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Because back at home, I do work with Alex, who we both know. And he said like, yeah, Lottie did used to manage me when I was in my local. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I thought he was managing the studios. I didn't realise he was managing also the staff. So you allocate like an engineer to go to specific sessions, is it? Yes. So like as a blanket, the studios kind of come with an assistant so we kind of have to organize them and you know give them the session start time and sort of set up information if we get that we don't always get that but we try and get as much information from the client as we can so that the staff are kind of um, well prepped and can you know have things ready and set up Um, some of our studios are like partner studios so I don't necessarily sort of have a management kind of role in that regard so they have like their own team of like staff Mm. um and such so it'll be a case of kind of talking to other studio managers and kind of communicating with them about availability and things like that but in the ones that Maloco kind of manage exclusively yeah it's kind of managing the diaries and and things like that really Mm. yeah because I I basically see you as managing like a lot of studios definitely scheduling is something that I imagine you doing are there other tasks that you're doing um, what would be like your usual working day if there's any um oh, it's so hard to say because <laughs> it really depends um as it goes with studio bookings or the music industry in general you know there are waves where it's particularly more busy than other times of year 
But I guess general today, day to day is kind of answering the phone and emails, lots of emails, basically, <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, so we kind of work in our office, so which is kind of where we are here today at Leroy Street. So we are all kind of in work. So it's quite easy to kind of navigate inquiries because there's myself and two others that navigate the bookings. Um, but yeah, day to day, it's just kind of us three kind of talking and kind of juggling a lot of juggling inquiries and just trying to make sessions happen really. Um, and, you know, checking in with our staff, sometimes organising like equipment hires. So there's that that's kind of involved sometimes as well. Um, piano tunings, that kind of thing, all those kind of logistics. Then it's kind of troubleshooting sometimes. So, you know, if there's been like a technical problem or something, being on hands kind of helps navigate that. That doesn't always happen all the time, but sometimes, you know, things don't always go to plan on sessions. So sometimes equipment can fail from time to time. That's not very common but it can happen as I'm sure you know Um, so it's just kind of you know being on the ball and just Mm -hmm. kind of um, making sure that it's all running smoothly making sure it's all going okay Yeah. would people when they call have an idea which studio they want to book already or would they ask for a recommendation? Um, so sometimes if it's like some of our regular clients they kind of know already because they will have used the studio before so they'll ask availability at you know a specific one But it's not always the case. We, you know, we're not exclusive. So anybody can pick up the phone and call us. And, you know, um, if they haven't been in a sort of studio setting before, you know, if it's somebody that's kind of got a set up at home, for example, and they're thinking, oh, I want to try and get in, you know, a certain type of space where they can maybe experiment a bit more or, you know, something that that might be outside of the the remit of what they can do at, at home mm-hmm. um then we can you know we can help make that happen or help with suggesting spaces that could work for what they want to do really um so yeah yeah because it seems you cover like literally everything because like cause there's 180 studios is it mm-hmm. um and some of them are residential you know in the countryside or like in the city they have more like small booths or big spaces mm-hmm. the backline must be very different for each of them and equipment etc so you probably can offer pretty much anything yeah more or less the only yeah I, I guess yeah that is true um, <laughs> so like the room we're in now for example it's kind of like a small kind of production kind of vocal room um but yeah we can kind of cater to kind of string sessions or as you said like residential kind of um yeah well because of that like one of my questions is really I think as a as a newish engineer who hasn't lived in, you know, the 90s where mm-hmm. the industry was very different, the budgets were much bigger. Mm-hmm. I always wonder, like, how busy are studios nowadays? And second question, what kind of um, inquiries people have? Do people book more like small studio booth, like production suites, as you say, or do people still book really big studios um, and it also, is it more scattering? Like people can just afford like maybe a few days and not like weeks like they used to do before. I would like to have that kind of yeah. um, idea of how things are going nowadays compared to before. Mm-hmm. I would say like especially probably COVID has had like a big impact on the way people kind of work in general, not just in music, but, you know, outside of that. Um, and I think 
budgets have obviously changed because like you said with the industry changing so much as it always does um the there's I don't think there's like a hard and fast way of answering it like a definitive way of kind of answering this but I would say generally speaking the studios are generally busy um but there's certain times of year where they'll be busier than others um but yeah I think the way that like what you say about budgets so I think in terms of sort of album projects I feel like the way people write music has changed now so Uh a lot of people will have setups at home so they'll probably try and do a lot of it at home or you know with a producer that might have their own studio for example and then they'll go into a space and kind of if it's a band or something like they'll go in and book somewhere for like a week and then they'll already have like the songs kind of already written and kind of rehearsed and put together and then it's just a case of kind of putting it putting it down but even that like I don't know if that's like the right answer like I just feel like the way people are creating music now has changed so much (laughs) that it really depends on kind of um on the way that they're putting music out really I don't know if I think a lot of the time EPs seem to be a a more common thing nowadays um, Mm -hmm. or kind of like, you know, mini albums, that kind of thing. They seem to be becoming more of a a thing in in terms of sort of the way people release things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, we see it in Ireland as well. Mm -hmm. Like people demo a lot at home, Mm -hmm. which is great. They have access to like loads of plugins or like um, affordable equipment so they can songwrite without thinking about the budget. They Mm -hmm. have no limit of time in terms of experimenting with their song, the structure and demoing, pre-proing, which is great. And then hit the studio when actually the songs are ready to go and recorded um, in a high quality way Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to hear that even like with an average of so many studios that you guys are working with there's not really a trend I I, I know it's a lot the answer in the music industry there's no you know one way of doing things or like a a, um, an average um. yeah there's not like a set way I think that's you know I think so many people maybe think about getting into engineering or assisting and they think oh I need to do it this way and I think the way you record music there's no right way of mm-hmm. of do it's so personal to everyone and i think that's something that i would probably stress a lot like you don't need to go into a big tracking room obviously you can get different sounds and you can experiment with different things and there's you know maybe different microphones that you might not have at home but at the same time it's you know does the project actually need that kind mm-hmm. of scale of space yeah. Follow your heart and what's right for the yeah. project, I guess. Yeah. And have you noticed through your work what are the main selling points when people are booking a studio? Is it, you know, previous clients that have been in the studio? Uh, so the reputation of the studio? Is it the budget mainly? Is it the producer slash engineers that work there? What are people's criteria for booking a specific studio versus mm-hmm. another? So, yeah, sometimes, like you say, it will be the equipment that draws them in. Um, There might be certain microphones that they want to try. So, like, Mm -hmm. if it's a vocalist, for example, they might think, oh, actually, I want to shoot out a few microphones and, like, you know, give those a go um, to figure out if they want to buy one or something. I guess there's, like, there's so many different things. Or, like, say if it's, like, a piano, for example, sometimes we'll get people that are 
kind of specific about the model of piano so then that limits their options and then with something like that we'll always kind of say you know we'd really strongly suggest you trying out the piano as well because it's such a personal instrument and really depends on the player um or like even certain you know certain desks sometimes you know they might want to work off an SSL or a Neve or if it's like mixing for example they might want a certain even model desk at that point so you know it really varies depending on what the client is doing you know if they want like a bigger room for drums we'll just we'll suggest kind of what we feel is is a good option for them and kind of you know let them know the prices and then they can kind of make a decision off off that. But um, yeah, there's many things that I think sometimes people want to do. You know, sometimes people might want to do like some synths. So they'll go for somewhere. They will be like, you know, can you suggest me somewhere that's got a good key selection? And mm -hmm. or sometimes people just want to play around with like and have the option to, you know, use different bits of equipment just to kind of play around really. So, yeah. So the backline mainly, I was thinking like mainly maybe the rooms, the desks mm -hmm. and the backline would be the main selling points. Yeah, they uh, really would, I would say. And then uh -huh. sometimes people do also want to work with specific engineers. So if they've had a good experience in a certain room with an engineer, then they'll ask for that room and that engineer as well. So mm -hmm. it can oftentimes also be, you know, the engineer as well has had an impact on the way that that session has gone to make them you know, if it's a repeat booking, want to come back in. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And um, in terms of like the sizes of studios or could we start talking about certain studios you're working yeah. with? I know you mentioned that. So obviously my local is on a worldwide scale. There's uh, studios in the US and Europe. There's one in Greece and like mm -hmm. Belgium, I saw. Um, there's one on the Isle of Wight. <laughs> there is one on the Isle of Wight, yeah. <laughs> repping the home, home. There's one in town. Ireland, one in Ireland, yeah. Attica, uh, which is a lovely studio as well. But you said like a lot of the work, and I imagine it was the case, is to handle the, the work in London. So London Studios, the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, so what are the, the studios in London, the ones that have been maybe here the longest or the ones that are the biggest? Um, tell us a bit more about like the different studios. Goodness, yeah. I mean, we do receive inquiries for like the European ones, but like London is probably the main hub um, which we deal with. So, I mean... Goodness me, there's so many in London. There's about 45 or so in London alone. But I guess like, you know, the complex where we're in now, this is where um, six of our kind of commercial rooms are. So there's the pool, the red room, the bridge, the vault, electro bank and the toy shop. So, yeah, these studios here have been in existence for quite a while um and then there's battery studios which is in wilsdon green um so flood and molders kind of you know studios so we manage there uh there's livingston studios which is in wood green so there's two studios there they've been around for a while and then you know other renowned studios like dean street snap studios you know all of them are so like lovely and unique in their own way um i i could list them list them all you know but those ones off the top of my head are some spaces that kind of spring to mind and then there's you know some newer additions um there's one in king's cross like tile yard which is really lovely 
and then Urchin in Hackney. I was so, going to say Urchin. Urchin I'm a really massive lovely. fan of Urchin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's some really, you know, and then Sleeper Sounds as well. I should mention Sleeper Sounds because that's Guy Chambers' studio, um, which is a really beautiful space. Um, it's got di- daylight and, you know, the gear in there is uh, brings a lot of people um, in, definitely. So that's another really lovely one. And then Baltic Studios in Dalston, that's a really lovely... I mean, they're all really lovely. No, I know. It's like asking um, you to choose your favourite <laughs> yeah. child. It really is. Um, but, yeah, they are they are really nice. And, yeah, like you said, Attica, like one of some of the... Well, all of the ones that are further afield, you know... Um, it's good to hear there's so many because it's always dreading to hear like studios have closed. Mm. Um, but my local makes me feel like the industry is very lively still and the fact that it's a network and, you know, uh, you have engineers that you send to studios and there's like a, an idea of movement that I really like about my local that engineers can go to several rooms. So it's not like... What I feel as an engineer, I, I would love to go to more various studios because each... Each place will have a different monitor system, desk mm-hmm. and acoustics. And that's what makes your ears like become good for any kind of environment. Whereas if you're set in uh, just one way of doing things, then, you know, you're not expanding as much your knowledge. So I love the idea of my local being so, yeah, moving all the time mm-hmm. and lively. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess like a lot of our assistants, as you say, like they do like a lot of the when they're kind of earlier on in their career, they'll be in the studios kind of here at Leroy Street, but then they kind of work around the other spaces as they kind of, you know, their experience grows and then they get the, you know, the option to kind of assist at different studios across London. Mm -hmm. So I think that is like a really, I think they enjoy kind of having the, you know, one day they might be here and then they might be somewhere in East London, like East London or North London. So, Yeah. And how does it work for like managing the producers slash engineer side of things? Who who do you manage, for example? Um, how does that work? Uh, so we have an in-house team of engineers and producers. And then um, Sophie, who kind of heads up our producer engineer management arm, she deals with the guys that are on that. So, yeah, um, she kind of manages exclusively their bookings. But then we still speak to them and manage some bookings as well. So there's a crossover there. Um, and then the in-house team, there's six to eight of them. Um, and then the, some of our assistants are kind of crossing into engineering. So, you know, we support them throughout their kind of career. So when they start assisting and then, you know, as time goes on, a lot of them progress into engineering. Um And that's the case with the ones that are on the producer engineer kind of, you know, they've kind of had, grown their career and then yeah it's great to kind of it's a great team really (laughs) how many people does it like how many people are working with my local uh, on the admin side and on the engineering slash producer side um so there's three of us in the bookings team and then sophie who heads up the producer engineer management team um so it's quite small really i was gonna say that like (laughs) for 180 studios (laughs) It's very small. <laughs> yeah, I guess like, f- for example, it is a small team, but I guess the lo- level of inquiries we receive kind of varies um, day to day. But yeah, I think a lot of people think that we're a big kind of cohort or um, but we're actually quite a small team. 
So yeah, <laughs> small but nice. Small but nice. It's, hopefully, it feels like family. So. Yeah, it's nice because we're all kind of um, we're based at our HQ in Leroy Street, and um, you know our in-house team of like assistants and engineers are all quite kind of you know supportive of one another. So it's just a really nice kind of atmosphere to to be around. So coming to work is not you know it's. It's nice to come to work. Mm-hmm. I feel quite lucky. <laughs> yeah, just even the link with Alex and yourself. And you're just like, oh, mm. we miss Alex. And Alex was like, oh, I loved going to the yeah. Lower Street. And I miss Lottie, say hi. Yeah. It's just nice. It means, you know, it wasn't just like going there for work. It was mm-hmm. really connecting with the people. And again, that's what I get from my local. And I think it's really nice. And something we might tend to forget when we're working from home or, mm-hmm. you know, in smaller studios or smaller places. Or what I love when I come to London, because it's such a bigger place, mm-hmm. is, is meeting more people if that makes sense so yeah. just like the connection is is really good um, and it's definitely something that we shouldn't lose from COVID or smaller 100%. budgets yeah that's what that's what it's all about mm-hmm. really and connecting with you today yeah, yeah it's amazing yeah, it's brilliant <laughs> I can't believe it I was just like you know what I'll just come to London yeah. and meet you in person yeah. um, it's just that that's what it's all about I was yeah. like I could have chosen to stay at home and mm-hmm. do a Zoom and I was like well no you know I need to grab opportunities yeah. to go to London London and meet people mm. and you've already introduced me to like half of the people yeah. in the building today and I'm just like yeah more yeah. faces more people it's so, just nice isn't yeah. it to get so out thanks thanks so much and for taking the time because you're like busy as you said because it can be like um quite intense when mm. you're the small team that you are and like the inquiries are all coming at once I imagine what I suspect is that people were still catching up from COVID last year. Yeah. So musicians were saving money or trying to catch up with years mm. of loss from before. But this year seems like it's going to be quite busy. I feel like it too. Yeah. And I know you said when you arrived that January's been, we both said, you know, um, Bonkers. it's like, is it still January? <laughs> it feels like, <laughs> like it was three months of work. Yeah, it feels. Yeah. Um, but it's a good sign and hopefully for, you know, the, recording studios universally like hopefully and to the industry as a whole you know hopefully um we can get back to kind of normal um mm-hmm. this year mm-hmm. um yeah definitely um and no it feel it feels great it feels very positive mm. this year so I have yeah. a great feeling about it yes um so. i have a <laughs> More personal question. Yeah. We were talking about the studios and I forgot to mention you have a Lightship 95 as well, yes. which used to be Soup Studios, right? Yeah, yeah. I've always loved the studio. I was like, oh, I don't know, it was managed <laughs> by my local. Have you ever been on it? I haven't personally myself, no, but it's a great, it's a great one. Yeah, obviously on a boat. So, yes. um, yeah, it's really beautiful though. Um, there's a lot of kind of jazz musicians and like various different kind of projects that are recorded there, but it's a lovely lovely spot um yeah we speak to Giles who's kind of the in-house you know engineer kind of runs the studio there quite often and uh he's recorded some of the projects that he does in um at Livingston for example so yeah we have a really good connection with them there but yeah it's beautiful on a boat it's very very niche but yeah Yeah. it's amazing I want to be in touch I want to go there like yeah it seems it seems amazing yeah Uh, you have Hansa as well I saw I didn't realize Hansa was on my local Mm -hmm. Uh, it's where uh, Bowie and Depeche Mode recorded Mm -hmm. and Hansa like the the room sounds amazing um are you are you allowed to like go to the studios (laughs) as the my local booking manager Uh, and can you bring me in your suitcase yeah, I wish I, I mean I wish I got time to visit them all, but um, 
yeah, Hans is amazing. Obviously, it's an incredible space and the, you know, um, the legacy and everything of the artists mm-hmm. that have kind of recorded there. Um, but yeah, I would love to visit maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it our next trip. Oh, we have to record yeah. a podcast yeah. in Hans In Berlin, yeah. <laughs> Um, now the reason I wanted mm-hmm. to talk to you as well is not uh, just your work in my local mm-hmm. but I came across you because I met uh, Pickles mm-hmm. who is one of the founder of uh, the Trans Creative Collective mm-hmm. and that's where I find your name and I would like to talk about that I think the podcast shouldn't be just I love people to introduce their, yes. their jobs and everything, but the causes that they support. Mm-hmm. And you're behind, you know, a project that I find amazing, the culture of belonging. Mm-hmm. So can you please tell us about that, how um, the genesis of it and um, that read that you talk about the um, inclusion in the recording studio. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that, please? Yeah, so um, the Trans Creative Collective are obviously doing some amazing work um, since they started. So, you know big up um, amazing <laughs> but yeah the, so the culture of belonging was kind of off the back of um, a conversation I have with, had with Vic Bain in uh, lockdown so I just tweeted her being like oh you know can we have a chat um, want to try and do something at Maloco just have a really open conversation about you know the industry and particularly kind of the recording sector um, and we kind of had a good conversation for quite some time and basically came up with the idea of doing like a workshop style thing um which would allow kind of women and expansive musicians into the space and what that might look like really so um she approached oh my goodness my my brain <laughs> she approached Catherine Ann Davies, who goes as the anchoress, that's her artist's name, and then Isabel Anderson, who also goes under the female DIY musician. So she has like a home recording academy and um, an amazing podcast called Girls Twiddling Knobs. So she approached those two to kind of put something together um, and what that might look like. And they did and um, couldn't have done it without them, really. They helped bring the vision to life and... Vic also approached help musicians so they funded the the workshops and then I need to shout out Sarah Dorgan who's one of our in-house assistants because she kind of I asked her I was like you know you're up for trying this workshop thing that I've put together um and she was just like yeah so she helped assist it but then kind of ended up sort of leading it alongside Isabel and, and Catherine really so we've had four of the workshops now and literally only had the fourth one two weekends ago. So right. um, very recently kind of wrapped up the first series of the workshops, um, but they all went really well. So yeah, very, um, still kind of processing it really. I've not really had much time to kind of reflect, but it's been really amazing. Um, yeah, hopefully they can continue. It's an amazing initiative. I just... Like how it shows their strength in numbers. A lot of women say that as an individual voice, they're not feeling maybe like they're hurt. But the minute people gather mm-hmm. for the same cause, then amazing things happen. And that's why you say you're, you're, you're using the words teaming up and, you know, it wouldn't have happened without their help. Yeah. Like support and networking and teaming up is really what makes those projects come to life. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely something I wanted to talk about that if 
one of us out there think about a project and it feels maybe impossible to do or don't know where to start, mm -hmm. then it's about reaching out to other people who could help and teaming up. And that usually leads to being able to make it happen. Yeah. So I'm so glad. And it's a great initiative. Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, look up to it so much. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank um, you. Can you also remind us like what help musicians do? Yes. Yeah, so they're great. Um, They are a charity which have been established for a very long time um, in the UK and they do some amazing work. So, you know, they're a charity that are for professional musicians of all kind of genres and, and backgrounds. Um, and they kind of help out in sort of periods of crisis, but then they also have like quite a few other parts of the charity that they can kind of help support with. So they have like their mental health kind of section, which is like mind music matters. I might be getting that wrong, but they're just brilliant. And they also have like a hearing health kind of scheme. So they're, you know, I think a lot of people don't really know of them actually. Mm -hmm. um, and they're just a great resource to, you know, they offer some great kind of schemes. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of musicians would probably benefit from, mm -hmm. you know, seeing what they can offer really, because it's incredible the, you know, they've, they've been around for about a hundred years and I think a lot of people don't even know that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't, when I first kind of, um, when Vic kind of said that they were going to support it and fund it, but you know, we couldn't have done it without, without them. So, mm -hmm. you know, we huge, huge thanks to them as well. Yeah. No, definitely. It's like uh, about bringing more visibility to those supportive organizations. I first heard of them when I was in Northern Ireland because mm. they're helping Northern Ireland as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just, as we discussed just before starting the recording, it's great just comparing. We studied kind of like at, at a similar time that when we were in uni, it wasn't so much discussions about mental health or genders or whatever, whereas now mm. it's a bit more normal. There's less stigmas. So it's really about that. And when I so that you teamed up with help musicians and mental health is a topic that's really close mm -hmm. to my heart. I was like, I want to talk yeah. to Lassie because she's probably on the same wavelength as me in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, supporting Female Plus and the fact that you were a part of the mm -hmm. TCC and that you teamed up with help musicians. I was like, yes, let's let, let's make it like a normality, basically, is what we're saying yeah. um, when we were chatting, that it needs to become normal for yeah. people. Um So that's what we're mm. heading towards. Yeah. And I think it's changing in a really nice direction. Mm. It's I'd be interested to see how much in London it's it's moving because it's like it's like a capital. It's like where I picture things to um happen first compared yeah. to like smaller places like Ireland or whatever. But do do, do you see it happening? Does London still have a, a long way to go or are there definitely like loads of projects and initiatives around that you can see have developed over the last few years yeah, to I'm, support gender and mental health? I think there's definitely more and more initiatives that kind of keep popping up. Um, you know, the Trans Creative Collective, there's 2% Rising, there She Said So, um, Cactus City are doing some really amazing work as well. And the F-List, you know, um, there's just so many... And there's many more that that's just what I can think of off the top of my head. But I think, you know, I think we're kind of it's small steps. And as you just said, you know, I think people are more open to kind of having conversations about sort of, you know, making spaces more inclusive. And and I think we're slowly taking very small steps to kind of getting to a place where hopefully, you know, we don't have to have the 
it'll just be universal. We won't have to have um, women in music events mm -hmm. and it will be like, you know, it will be... People who, in music. Just people. <laughs> yeah, just people. And it doesn't matter, like, hopefully we get there eventually. But, uh, yeah, I think just having conversations about this kind of thing is so positive and... And, you know, people are more open to discussing things and ideas. I, I At first I was kind of, when I had this idea about the workshops, for example, I was kind of like, oh, can I actually make it happen, you know? And that goes to show the confidence thing in myself. And now we've just completed them. And it's kind of, you know, it's just, I think you just have to have a bit of self-belief sometimes and, and just kind of, if you've got an idea, just try and believe that you can. Mm -hmm make that come to life and make it happen really absolutely um, yeah that's why i underline like if you think maybe something is not possible start reaching out to people mm. who will potentially support you because alone it might be daunting and really yeah. feeling like yeah your confidence is not gonna you, you, you need friends and support around mm. you to have your idea come in to life because otherwise it's so easy to have the oh, it's, you know, why would I even try to pursue this? Mm -hmm. Especially when you're coming from a gender minority. Yeah. So it's important to talk about all those places where you can feel a bit safer and supported yeah. and with allies. Mm -hmm. um, and then brilliant projects can come yeah, to life then. I think um, so. So, yeah. When did you join the um, Trans Creative Collective? I only heard about them really recently. Um. So I speak to Pickles quite a lot through work um, often and I saw that they were putting this together. I think it was last, I think they, they had their launch party in August last year, which sadly I couldn't make. But I feel like it was around this time last year that they, you know, put it together. Um, and, you know, the work that they've done so far, like the events and... Um, and everything is, is just brilliant, really. Uh, and I saw, you know, the absolute choir kind of um, performance or recording that they, they did before Christmas was, was brilliant. So, um, yeah, so that was, it was last year. And then the <laughs> F list was... 2020. Yes, yeah. thanks for reminding me. I yeah. was going to ask, like, you're an ambassador of mm -hmm. the F list. Yeah. Uh, do you want to have a quick chat about what the F list is? Yeah. So the F list is a kind of big directory of um, women and gen gender expansive people in the industry in general. So it's not just kind of um, musicians. There's DJs. There's you know all sorts of people on on that list really and it's it's trying to kind of break down you know the barriers that there are um for women in music so vix just you know continues to do amazing work and i only met her in person sort of last last year last summer because she's based down in sort of cornwall so it was amazing to meet her in person after I think we'd held two of the workshops at that point. So it was kind of really, ah, oh, just felt quite emotional to actually meet her wow. in person and be able to put like a, you know, I've obviously spoke to her on Zoom, but it's like you said, it's not the same yeah. as um, as not being in person. So, you know, it's it's just the Eflis is, you know, there's been a number of great events as well that have been held and, and talks and, and conversations on Zoom. But it's just about trying to kind of help people sustain their careers in the in the music industry for, for longer, yeah. you know, and creating opportunities for for other women and gender expansive people to kind of, you know, 
be able to get in a studio or be able to kind of be in front of a producer or, you know, and just reach out to other people within that kind of same field and network that just, you know, kind of get it really. So, yeah. I love it. I love that we covered like, you know, uh, some resources that people can access to mm-hmm. uh, help musicians and the Trans Creative Collective um, keychain she said so mm-hmm. the F list I like that we have mentioned all those yeah. things because as you said it, we might take it for granted that we know about mm-hmm. those things but they must be people out there who've never heard of it yeah. and I'm really glad we're making it more more uh, visible and people it can change some people's lives and careers for 100%. sure so yeah. um, so thanks for sharing all that and uh, yeah guys check out all those things if you need support there's always somewhere someone who can help uh, definitely don't feel afraid to reach out uh, even Lottie and myself will be yeah. happy to help if anyone wants to reach out um, no problem at all so yeah, lovely. Just oh, I love your. I love your <laughs> so I was just saying to Lottie earlier, guys, that um, she opened the door earlier and she she was like, "Hello," with this big smile and a big flashy green jumper. I was like, "We're definitely gonna get along." Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Let's see this. Yeah. Let's see the rooms." And like you know, and it was just like, "Yeah, straight away." Yeah. Um, so that's, that's been great. just great to meet. And um, to finish off, um, unless you've got something to add, uh, mm-hmm. you know, any specific projects you're a part of that you want to talk about no, or another resource that I missed maybe. No, I don't. Um, I think it's really important that you said just then, you know, that people reach out if there's anything that we can help them with. Because I think it can feel like such a, even if you've been in the industry or whatever, you know, as an assistant engineer, even, you know, as a artist that's maybe even releasing music, I think it's important to know that no matter what kind of point in your career you're at, that there's, you know, support and people that are just happy to give up their time to talk. I think a lot of the time people feel like, oh, no, I better not ask that or, you know, and I think that's something I'm really passionate about as well is kind of, you know, that's what the workshops are about is kind of allowing... I hate the word allowing, but, I, you know, it's creating the access to kind of spaces that mm-hmm. you think, oh, you know... And just having the confidence to kind of reach out, I think, you know, it's really important that people do that and don't, you know, don't hold back, really. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Don't be afraid. We're, we're here anyway. Yeah. <laughs> With our flashy jumpers <laughs> and our big smiles, we can listen to all of your questions. Yeah. That's no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's definitely people around you who can mm-hmm. help. So reach out. Um, and would you like mm-hmm. to finish by our last little question yeah. for the podcast? <laughs> So related to the title, the music yeah. tricked me. You were just like, so what's the yeah. name of the podcast? I was mm-hmm. like, the music tricked me. Yeah. And the question is going to trick you. Mm-hmm. No, it's not going to be <laughs> tricking you. But uh, basically I ask guests when there's been a, a moment in their life that um, a record just grabbed their attention, tricked them, maybe because it sounded different or maybe they saw an artist on stage who did something different. Mm-hmm. Has there been key moments, records in your life that you were just like, oh my God, how how did that happen? What have I just seen? Yeah, I think there's probably been quite a few and this is is something I have thought about because you mentioned that, you know, it's such a big question. Um, So I was like, (laughs) I need to think about this one. But like, I remember without going off like on a tangent about, you know, moments in your life, but I think Justin Timberlake, Justified. I remember listening to that album (laughs) when I was 12 and I was just like, this album is amazing. You know, it's such a great pop record. Um, And that's just about the time when I started playing drums as well. So I just, some of the beats and the rhythms on it are incredible. And I did go to see Justin Timberlake actually at the O2 Arena with a friend 
a few years ago and it was one of those shows where I was just like oh wow you know his I think he's just worked with so many amazing producers and, and artists you know collabs across the years um so that's probably like a very early memory um but I, I just grew up like my parents, you know, my dad especially uh, grew up around a lot of like amazing music. So one of the first songs I kind of learned on drums was Honky Tonk Woman by the Rolling Stones and was introduced to kind of Led Zeppelin, you know, at like 12, 13. So it's like quite a lot of kind of rocky kind of stuff. Um, but then equally a lot of pop as well, like Madonna. And like I remember my dad playing like police and stuff in the car. So it's always been around like a lot of music and then feel incredibly lucky kind of growing up on the Isle of Wight when the Isle of Wight Festival kind of made its comeback that, you know, the lineup for one of the first Isle of Wight festivals I went to was like, you know, Coldplay and and Prodigy and Faithless and saw a lot of incredible artists like at the age of just 15. So I think some of those performances probably quite early on and, and you know, I, I played piano as well. So I, I remember seeing Coldplay and I was just like, wow, you know, um, just had some very amazing moments throughout being quite young before I even properly started working in music that really mm. kind of hit hit home. And, you know, I think as well doing Artist Liaison, I got to see some amazing musicians in that when I was doing that, you know, like Stevie Wonder, Carole King, oh, good, like just and a lot of people early on in their career. I remember seeing the 1975 at Hyde Park in 2013, just before they kind of really went massive. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. And now they're like huge, you know. <laughs> so there's been a lot of moments like that where they've been quite inspiring, I guess. Uh -huh. Yeah. So you're big into like the live gigs, I live think, shows. Yeah, I think that has like, there are records that really get me. Um, like George Michael, you know, there's I've just got such a varied taste. Everyone does that works in music will say that. Um, but, you know, there's I think there's something about seeing a live performance for me that, you know, when you get goosebumps um, or like when you hear back. So the 1975 did a show at the O2, actually, I think it was in 2016. I remember just being like, you know, the live performance was just amazing mm. and it kind of gave me goosebumps and they did a recording of, of that show which they released um, and sometimes I listen back to it and I'm just like, I don't know, you know, when you when you get the goosebump moment, yeah. just, you just can't explain it or when you listen to something that really takes you back and I went to Glastonbury last year for the first time and, you know, seeing a wet leg especially, I had a moment where I just kind of had a little tear in my eye because it's just amazing seeing them on, on the park stage and, um, yeah, like got up on my colleague's shoulders for like the last song, like Shays Long. Um, <laughs> and it was just a really special moment. I think there's some really, you know, it's really important, like it's not to take away the importance of like the recording process in the studio, but there's something about seeing music live for me that really kind of... I don't know if it's because of being in a band myself, so that maybe has something to do with it, but just it really kind of struck, strikes a chord with me, I guess. I just uh -huh. really kind of love seeing live music. I'm a little bit speechless after like <laughs> hearing you talking. I, I get the emotion when you're talking. I'm, I'm a little bit speechless. Uh. You know, previous guests have talked about their favorite records. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people have talked about like live performances, okay. but just like the sparkle that I see in your eyes and the emotion yeah. that I can totally picture that you get from uh, watching your live performance. So I'm a little bit speechless, guys. Yeah. But 
but that was great thank you yeah. so much um, I'm so appreciative of your time I'm going like, to let you go on with your day <laughs> back to picking sand uh, I, yeah I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time and meeting me and showing me around um, you're welcome yeah I wish you all the best we'll definitely you be in too. touch yeah. there might be a, a, you know a, a moment we create a project together that mm-hmm. would be something really amazing yeah. to create more support for people out there together mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, yeah it's a beautiful yeah. story to just be able to meet people like you so thank you so oh, much thank <laughs> you so much for, your, for having me on the podcast <laughs> it's been really great it's been great to meet you and show you around so yeah thanks for having me you're very welcome and uh, take care